2: Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the Archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today.
3: This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes.
4: All right. Here yeah, I know. This is Dumpty
5: Dum, sponsored by managers. <laughs>
6: Dumpty Dum is from Marie Bray and it was sponsored by Sally D who donated to Dumpty Dum last week.
7: This is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that is centred on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the artful rogue who is Royfield Brown and today I'm joined by the
6: bowl of
7: beautiful tasty sprouts.
6: Who is Jacqueline Berto in Sanguen in France. On this episode we'll hear from Witherspoon, Rob Williams, Jonah Titchmarsh, Glyn Fuller Love, Sarah Spilsbury, Richard Lucas, our European Richard, David Mullis, and Claire Asprey. She's back.
7: Up oh, the women. Plus, we have Tweet of the Week from Purple Pumpkin and we have the social media roundup from RKT. Now, good people, YouTube, a quick shout out for YouTube, please go over there. You can watch two years worth of interviews with actors of The Archers and our Friday Zooms that we used to do. And we will do one before the end of the year. Go over to YouTube. If you do nothing else, go over to YouTube, type in Dumpty Dum, and then unsubscribe to our channel. I'll be most grateful. Now, as well as all of that, Dumpty Dummers, we can have our Facebook roundup and we're going to be welcoming new members to our Facebook group.
6: And this week, we are remembering Dr. Graham Blockley, who has played so beautifully Robert Snell for the last 36 years he sadly died this week aged 66 there is a story that I read on the internet that says that he was interviewed for a part of a doctor but the powers that be decided his voice wasn't right for playing a doctor which was a bit weird because he was a doctor in real life but they offered him the role of the husband of the new forceful incomer Mrs Linda Snell
4: where is it? It's always the last item on the list. I can't seem to. Ah. Oh, no. Granola with raisins and almonds. It's the freeze dried berries one Lindy likes. There's never an attendant around when you need. I oh, want to be quick. She'll be expecting me back. Oh, go and wash my face. Oh, I'm sorry that the safe is so hard to clean. It's
2: fine. In fact,. Um, Dad, do
4: you mind if I have a bath? No, no, of course not. You know where everything is. Thanks. Go and relax. This home is yours for as long as you need it. Here, dearie me. Robert. Oh, I'm sorry, Lindy. I know you've got things to do, but honestly, James is just the bitter end. The whole thing seems ridiculous
6: if you ask me. And what a beautiful, graceful, delightful man he has been, a character. What do you think, Royfield? Will he be replaced or will he die?
7: Oh, no, you, you can't replace him. Basically, he was not only the good guy, but also the one male character who could be relied upon always to do the right thing at the right time.
6: Yeah. And
7: it was a perfect foil for, for Lindy. um, But also
6: for Jim, also for Jim, because they had little battles over time, didn't they? Oh no,
7: absolutely! The twitching wars, yes, yeah,
6: twitching wars, notebook wars, (laughs)
7: yes. (laughs) He wonderful character, wonderful sidekick to a beloved character, Mm. and and helped humanize Linda for us. Yeah,
6: he did. He really did that bridge, didn't he? Mm -hmm. But In fact, the whole thing after Linda was so badly injured and had lost all confidence in herself, which I think at the time surprised us all, he was just brilliant. And of course, there were the nice little blue, blue buttons that helped him. That was a nice touch.
7: Absolutely. He was, as, as I said before, a, a wonderful foil, a perfect character. And the one male character who could always be trusted uh, trusted to do the right thing. But we, we have a little tribute from our Claire from Clapham.
8: Hi, dum-to-dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. I just want to celebrate Robert as one of the, as Quentin would say, dull but decent men in the village. And I mean, I think we all have a lot of love for Robert. He's a great balance for Linda... Their relationship is so beautiful. He's always so supportive of all her kind of slightly hairbrained enterprises. And I think we really benefited from hearing more, was it over the monologues maybe, I don't know, about like how they first got together and the sort of background to their relationship. I will definitely miss Robert. I was quite interested in how he sort of pivoted quite quickly from some kind of IT consultant, to a kind of basically a kind of hands-on handyman guy. You wouldn't necessarily have expected that. But, you know, I just think he made himself interesting and helpful. He was always supportive to people. I really like there was a scene between him and Jim where I think it it was made to stand for the parish council when Emma was standing. And I got the sense that Jim was supporting Emma, but I couldn't have a view because he was Parish Clerk. And in the end, I got the feeling that Robert had actually voted oh, for Emma. And good for him, you know, like, I just think it's really good to see people sort of take a even quite quiet and principled stand. Um, the only thing that jarred for me with Robert Snell was the, the idea that he and Linda have separate beds and they have to push them together for magic time. I was so surprised with that. I just felt like, they love each other so deeply and I just thought they would have a lot of cuddles and I find it quite hard to believe that they wouldn't have a shared bed. Anyway, that's my view. Keep up the good work. Speak to you soon.
7: I do not remember this lack of sharing a bed thing.
6: I don't either. And in fact, what I do remember is the Shepherd's Hut was a little mm. venue in the garden.
7: You can relate to that because you just got a, can- a nice little camper van for you and Loic, haven't you?
6: Yes. Yeah. Why not?
7: <laughs> hmm? How how are the springs doing on it?
6: Eh uh, no. no springs <laughs> <laughs> I don't all know right. how to that <laughs> yeah. Oh Fife <Boyfield>, for goodness <laughs> sake can't answer that question. <laughs> but Claire, I completely agree with you and I think I think we're all very saddened by the news that Graham has died and at the age of sixty-six it's far too young. Yeah, and we can only send all our condolences from Dumdi Dum and the Archer's family to
7: to his family. Absolutely, well said, well said, Berto.
6: Right, so shall we get on with the week in Ambridge and listen to the week in Ambridge from our Sue? Hello, lovely
2: people. It's Sue Queen of on the Twitters for, for another week in Ambridge. Vince is deemed to be a bit of a shit really about taking back the money for the solar panels and it's agreed that Ben must never know. This is clearly going to be a secret for about five minutes then. Pip is a complete cow to Chelsea, so nothing new there then. What difference would it have made if she had known that Ben was the daddy? It seems that everyone in the village knows now what's going on. I am still waiting for a thermonuclear meltdown when Steph finds out that Ben chose Chelsea over her for a quick shag. Alice does good stuff at the rehab centre, although she almost didn't. She has come a long way. Chris was remarkably nice to her and they are having an amicable divorce now. He is going to have a cottage on the estate, which will be rented out. Elizabeth doesn't appear to have booted Vince out, but just says that he's behaving like a spoiled brat at the moment. It all comes out that Vince wants his 40k back. Ben is going to give up his course and get a job, although everyone knows that's not going to solve anything. Chelsea does Brad's hair for the hunt ball. I'm sure this will stop him getting arrested when they do whatever it is they're going to do. George offers to help at the forge, but only if he gets paid, and Chris, unsurprisingly, rejects his offer. He also rejects George's request to live in the cottage, as he's made a verbal agreement with Jacob to rent it. Oh dear, this is all going to go tits up, isn't it? Chris doesn't know anything about being a landlord. What about rental agreements and all that? I'm sure Usha will be able to advise on it. After all, it's something legal. Lindy Bottom, we have all agreed, I think, is a bit rubbish at subterfuge. And as a reward, she got to hear all about Tony's individual elements of rolling stock from train sets passed by. And Jacob's encounters with Brussels sprouts. I do wonder if the Christmas Chronicles are going to turn up after all. Faced with an envelope of Christmas cracker jokes, Lindy shouts, no, no, it's never been on. And Tony leaves in high dudgeon. George was checked over for African swine fever on his educational fact-finding mission to Barrow. Work experienced boy George admits he wants to be rich to Martin Gibson. Martin takes him into the office for a bit of shadowing. We can see he's going to be that kind of farmer. Ben is fine. Absolutely fine. David is totally unhelpful, but he's one phone call away from pulling the plug. Ruth suggests selling some land, and David suggests he was going to suggest that to Ruth, and he agrees. They then go to visit Ben to tell him it's all sorted, and Ben will carry on with his course. So, I think like, we're back to stage one, aren't we? I do hope normal service can be resumed next week. Until then, my lovelies.
7: Where do you start? Where do you start <clears throat> with our Suey No week in Ambridge?
6: not quite sure what I've made of it. Last week was excellent. The week before mm. was pretty good, but this week was kind of bitty. Don't you think?
7: The focus has most definitely moved from from Chelsea yeah. to to Ben and the fallout around Ben.
6: Yeah. There's definitely as you say there's definitely been a move that way. Yeah.
7: Like she's just got on And for all all of the talk of her being immature, yes, she showed a level of immaturity in the length of time it took her to make up her decision. Yeah. But when she made up her mind, right, she's gone into adult mode. She's like, okay, this has happened, but it's not going to define me. I'm going to move on with the rest of my life. I've
6: parked this. I've parked this. And I'm moving on, getting on, cutting hair for everybody that comes within my scissors, reach. Yeah and
7: and also she's dealt with the fact that everybody in the village knows really well as well
6: yeah whereas ben when he had the drink with pip was oh they're looking out you know and and pip was being a big sister wasn't she yeah pip I, I i could start getting very cross when i think about pip this week she's upset me <laughs> but she always upsets me just me. Well, I was going
7: to say she does all she <laughs> needs to do is breathe and you're upset <laughs>
6: Rife, you didn't like her this week, did you?
7: I thought she reacted in a very typical way to Chelsea. You didn't tell me that it was Ben, etc. And then Chelsea said, what difference would it really have made? But it is your brother, you know. So, I, you know, I understood that guttural emotional reaction from her. but, But I'm just, I'm impressed with Chelsea and... I'm just I'm interested to see how much further they're going to go with the ben self flagellation I'm not yeah. perfect I've put created badness in the world type of thing because you know we all think that there's going to be a full blown emotional mental crisis and and it's good for us to explore male yeah. mental health
6: it is one that we haven't really followed. I know we have mini, we've had a mini crisis with William, but this already has gone on longer hmm. than William having his breakdown and shooting the ceiling and being thrown off the out of his job as a gamekeeper yeah. because he uh, had shot the gun in the house. But, but, uh, very true.
7: But, but, you know, it, but even with, with Will and his breakdown, the spur for that, I think we much more understand that. He lost his wife. Yeah whereas with with ben most if we just deal with this from a gender point of view mm. number one most men of his age would have said mate you've dodged a bullet carry on this didn't yeah. happen thank you lucky stars a lot of women would say you didn't have to do any of the heavy lifting with this you know what you want you to carry in you know the the pregnancy get over yourself not every woman but a lot of them would be like well wait on a minute and I think what the script writers have done is really to navigate just in between these two very stereotype views and to show us somebody who wants to help, who's a natural nurse for its angel. That's who he is. You know, it's only during the Mr. last nice show. Guy, yeah. and, and he just cannot get over the fact that he has hurt people doesn't matter how unwitting, he didn't go into this to hurt anybody, but he has. But, but can m- I
6: just say one thing about Ben? Is it, the will one it just thing be one we- thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, will you uh, caveat Jill. it by... No, Jill, mm-hmm. that's my one thing. He's worried. <laughs>
7: <laughs> I like that. That was one thing.
3: <laughs> Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection.
8: right
4: hello ambridge
9: 3962 hello dumpty Dam. it's glenn here first this week i'd like to have a few words about the loan that vince has made to brookfield as usual the terms of the loan are vague as far as the listeners are concerned one or two bits have been put on social media But what we do know, because referred to by both Vince and David, there is a loan agreement. Now, the purpose of a loan agreement is to ensure that the terms of the loan are very clearly understood and to protect the lender so that they can get their money back when it is due and they can get interest payments when they're due and so on. And for the borrower, that they are not subject to the whims of the lender demanding the loan back when it is not due. The chance of David and Ruth entering into a loan that was repayable on demand should be absolutely minimal. No accountant or lawyer worth their salt would have agreed that the loan made by Vince should be repayable on Vince's demand. It should have had clear terms about when it was due and Vince should only be able to get that loan repaid early if David and Ruth aren't making payments on it, which of course is not the case. So either they took no advice, or the advice that they took was incompetent. But I I guess, as usual, accuracy has been sacrificed for drama. Just quickly on Brad and George, to me they are the William and Ed of their generation, If we look back 20 years, William was the sensible one who was going places and look what the script writers decided to do to him and the course of Ed's life too. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Glenn Fuller, love.
10: Uh, Couldn't
7: couldn't agree more about this this loan thing. Also, £40,000 isn't an inconsiderable amount of money. It isn't. But the farm that they're running, the size of their farm, The length of time they've been farming it, they can easily just remortgage. And to pay back £40,000 is going to be about 300 quid a month with a regular mortgage. It's a load of nonsense. This would not cause them panic at all.
6: It is just a sloppy way of going on. They just haven't thought about it. In fact, I think we should slip in here, Richard's call, because... Mm. Uh, was it Richard? No, Rob. Sorry, Rob Williams.
11: Call.
7: Make sense out of this, Rob, or throw more bricks at this ridiculous storyline.
11: Rob Williams speaking again. The thing that's irritating me a bit is the the whole storyline regarding Vince Casey pulling the loan for the solar panels. Now I know forty thousand is a substantial sum of money. The sort of thing you would, you know. Bend down and pick up if you saw it in the street, but I can't get over the kerfuffle that's being made over it. Yes, it's a fair amounts, but a couple of years ago, I cocked up a date. I knew our mortgage finished on my mother's birthday, which was the 12th of December. I just got the year wrong. I was a year early and I had all the money gathered together, but I needed to raise 10,000. Oh, sorry, I thought I needed to raise 10,000 very quickly now i'm retired i've got no other real assets i'm on a smallish pension private pension i picked up my app tapped a couple of buttons and within minutes i had 10 grand in my bank account from you know from the west. now i've got none of the resources none of the collateral that somebody in a big farm could have they must surely surely be able to raise 40 grand without selling off land or without doing whatever they could just take out alone. It's not that big a deal over about four or five years. Reasonable rate of interest. Nothing stupid that we like Vince Casey might want to impose. It just seems a dead end to me. It's a total non-story. Okie dokie. Hope everybody's keeping well, feeling good, looking forward to whatever's coming. See you soon. Bye now.
7: It's spot on. It
6: is, absolutely.
7: 40,000 sounds initially like a lot of money. In this day and age, it's actually, in terms of getting a, a loan, it's actually not. And let's remember, they have a viable farm, masses of assets, of which the land is only just one of them, right? They have proof of revenue over decades It would be the easiest thing in the world for them to go and get a loan or a very small remortgage, and literally it would cost them whether they want to do it over 20 years, 15 years. We're talking about 300 quid a month. It just makes no sense. If you are on benefits, you are 25, you've never really worked, and you live in rented accommodation, £40,000 is an possible amount Impossible. of money yeah. to raise that is not their situation at all
6: no no not at all but in fact also um, Ruth I have this really weird and I have no idea if this is accurate because I haven't researched it Ruth inherited the contents of her, her mother's house yes and how well, I have a vague feeling that she put it into a pension p- plan I'm trying to get money out of my pension plan at the moment so you can do it.
7: <laughs> there must be clauses in that agreement so that Vince just can't turn around on a whim and say, "I okay. want all my money." Right? It's just it makes no sense. And and, and the thing is,
6: but it fits the story, Roy. It fits the story. <laughs> but 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 here's the thing, though,
7: right? And it's something which I say over and over with with the archers is that the conceit with us listeners is that we're smarter than the average cookie. Right, oh, we yes. don't we don't do soaps. We do continuous drama and we listen to a continuous drama on Radio 4. Okay. So and the uh, problem Radio is
6: Radio 4 that's the that's the special bit.
7: Exactly. All right. <laughs> so then we want a layer of complexity to our stories. We want yeah. it to be character driven not plot driven. And we praise them, the script writers, the the gods of Ambridge, massively when they come out with a Chelsea and a Ben storyline, because actually it, and it makes us think about the ethics of termination, late term termination, how this doesn't have to define a young woman's life, but how it can affect emotionally the father, the potential father. And we go, wonderful. It's great character study and then they throw in something like this and we yeah. go i beg your pardon i've got myself a mortgage 3 months ago from a uk institution and i can show income it's not uk income it's all us and i right. and i don't own somewhere in the uk and i got a mortgage it's it's not hard if you could... That's
6: very interesting because I have a problem that Barclays have been mm-hmm. have decided to tell me that I can't have a bank account because I've got a non UK address. So I'm busy trying to move things around so that I can actually find, have money when I go to the UK. Well, so the, that's the, interesting.
7: Yeah, I, I think for me, I've always kept my parents' address. Ah, yeah. So that's the difference. Yeah. And I do have a NatWest account there. I have a cooperative account there. Though, uh, I'm actually a non-UK dom. Yeah, because I'm never in the UK But
6: enough. it's so complicated. But as you say, it's complicated for us but that, that for live them. abroad. But, but not, not for them. not for them. No, not, not for, for Brookfield. No. Very, very interesting. And thank goodness we've got callers who know what they're talking about. Brilliant well, stuff. Yeah, well,
7: exactly. And do you remember... I think it was about three years ago Glyn was in the the House of Lords in front of a select committee talking about accountancy. Hey baby,
4: I hear the blues are calling toss salads and
6: scrambled eggs.
3: Mercy. (laughs) Greetings, Royfield, Jacqueline, and all Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Three items on my mind today. First. Are we going to have to listen to George Grundy and now also more of Martin Gibson in the near and far future? Martin has always been unlikable, but we have only had to take him in small doses. I know our favorite docudrama has to have its protagonists and antagonists, but young George so far is being drawn as so unlikable. In the States, there's something called a Q score or rating. Here's the definition. A measurement of the familiarity and appeal of a brand, celebrity, company, or entertainment product used in advertising and media, the higher the Q score, the more highly regarded the item or person is. Well, poor George must have a very, very low cue score among amongst us listeners. I feel the scriptwriters have made a terrible mistake with him. But I, as Royfield does, like nice people on the show. I hope that I just don't start turning off the proverbial radio when I hear him come on. Next, Alice, job well done. I'm so glad you're making progress. And was it on your mind as well? Was this the next step of Chris and Alice getting back together? Finally, Elizabeth, or Lizzie, or I'll call her Liz. I was very disappointed in her conversation with Ben this week. Besides the fact that she spilled the beans about the solar panels, which turned out to be a good thing, I was anticipating a really memorable moment in which she talked with Ben about her having an abortion and then going on to have a good life. Or she could have talked about her going through a depression in recent years and getting great help in therapy and with medication. But she did neither. A missed opportunity. Talk to you soon. Mm. He's always spot on the money, isn't he, Mr. Spoon?
6: He is, absolutely. I mean, you could take each one of those points. The George and Martin Gibson story. Martin Gibson is a baddie. He's just a, a cad. I always say a picture um Dick Dastardly and Mudley. Do you remember? <laughs> the, the, I think what, this is going to go a was, long
7: way. What was the line from Utley? Dick wasn't it? <laughs> that's what you always said, was
6: hey, That's George. That's George. Be uh, stepping behind Dick Dastardly's heels. That's him. And I agree with him. I think it's going to be a funny old uh, storyline. But I actually quite like the character of Martin Gibson. He's not insidiously evil like Rob. A uh, Rob, and he's not. I'm trying to think of bad characters now. Because despite everything, I like good characters as well.
7: The last time we really heard from Martin Gibson was Kathy, wasn't it? Wayne. When... Yeah, and
6: that was sad.
7: I'm all for intergenerational learning. So if George is gonna be learning beside Martin Gibson, right, I'm all up for it. All up for yeah. it. And and hopefully, yeah. hopefully <laughs> we learn a little bit a little bit extra, actually, about Martin Gibson. Because He's a blank slate. We don't know if he's married, widower, he's gay. He could be a Sikh. We have no idea, really.
6: He's been around a long time.
7: We know the name. We hear the occasional voice. And we know nothing about him actually as a human being other than he's a bit of a bastard
6: yeah because nobody else likes him on the board, do they? We have Lillian mm. Justin and Brian have always treated him with like a oh God, a pain in the neck. so here we go let's let's lead him into a more mm. fuller and fulfilling story. but I want to go back to what she what uh, Witherspoon said about Elizabeth. yeah, I was very disappointed with her conversation with Ben. I think it was an opportunity missed as far as leading us down the let's talk about mental health, about how she personally has coped with an abortion storyline. I'm disappointed. I was disappointed with that.
7: Mm. And again, this is the reason why we, one of the reasons why we do this podcast and we don't claim to be the experts, because I hadn't thought of that. I actually thought on the surface of it, here was an aunt who was displaying great compassion for her nephew. but actually yes she could have said you know what there was an incident in the mid-90s when i had to have a termination and it didn't define me it happened it was traumatic but i still went on to be a mother after the death of nigel i was really down and yes i had my children but i missed my partner and i came to a, a, a really low point didn't say those things and and, no. and we have the hive mind of the listeners to remind us of the backstory
6: one of the regular criticisms that we've made of in recent years of the script writers, I know they've changed a lot more over the last few years, but we have I have the feeling that there is no continuity. There are people now writing who don't remember everything that we the hive mind I'm not including myself necessarily in that because i I'm not very good at I have to look things up a lot to to be sure of what I'm thinking. Sometimes I think I must have dreamed this. But yeah, you know, they we need to make sure that we don't criticise the writers too much, but they ought to be a bit more organized. Absolutely. That's, that's me saying Absolutely. it. Sorry, sorry, Geoffrey Howe, Jeremy Howe. Jeffrey Howe. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. let's, let's blame somebody like Jeffrey Howe and it's Jeremy Howe. Sorry. No. Cut all that out.
7: <laughs> no, leave it in. I'm going to leave it in. The best no, and no. the easiest way for you to record a message, just like Mr. Spoon did or a plot prediction, is to go to www.speakpipe.com forward slash Don't forget the T in the middle. And also there is a link in the show notes.
6: We need your calls in by six PM on a Sunday UK time so that Royfield and I can record ten PM in France. And what time is it in California?
7: One PM.
6: How lovely. I've just had dinner and he's about to have his lunch. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes and bear in mind that you need to be at least eighteen to take part.
7: Guess what? I had for, I've already had my lunch actually. I had a big baguette. I've only just thought Ooh. of that.
6: I get the fromage jambon.
7: <laughs> what? What? What was in it? It was. It was a shawarma Now, good people, we need your help because this is the people's podcast. There are a few things you can do. First off, if you haven't done so already, hit the subscribe button on whatever podcasting platform you're listening uh, to us on. And if you wouldn't mind so much, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. There is a link in the show notes of how to do this and also with a youtube video because you actually don't need an apple device to be able to go do this so have a look there because the thing is the more reviews we get the more listeners we actually get for the podcast now the third and the final thing you can do is is consider becoming a patron patron is a way of tipping creators and there are different levels with different rewards so just go to patreon.com search for dumpty dum we we'll be chuffed to bits to have your support. You can be a sponsor of this podcast, just like Sally D has become by joining us on
6: Patreon. Now, we've got a little quick advert here. If you would like to spend an evening with Sunny Ormond, who plays our Lillian from The Archers, she's doing an event on Saturday, November the 26th that starts at 1900 Hours. Tickets cost £16.76, which includes a glass of mulled wine and a warm, not hot, mince pie. It's taking place at Ilmington Village Hall, which is postcode CV364LD, which is just a short drive south of Stratford-upon-Avon. Tickets are available on Eventbrite and we'll put a link in the show notes, won't we?
7: We will. Indeed. Now, before we go back to our calls, don't forget you can send us an email if you don't fancy hearing the sound of your voice by going up to dumdydum.com and hitting the contact us link. So that's Mr. Spoon. Now it's Sarah Spilsbury. Hello, Mr. Brown. Bonjour,
5: Madame Berto. And greetings to dumpty Dummies everywhere. It's Sarah from Smethwick here. I'm sure many other listeners, especially in the UK, found George's comment about give me five years reminiscent of Del Boy and Rodney. (laughs) This time next year we'll be millionaires. And in this case, it's George who's a plonker. Less to do with Martin Gibson being a shark, more due to his shonky maths. I also laughed when Chris, who himself isn't the sharpest knife in the box, pointed out he can't get paid for watching. Not strictly true, but I doubt George has the wherewithal to be an MVQ assessor or time and motion consultant. And was his going to the pig unit in light of Emma's mysterious headache, a hint at some future agricultural contagion storyline? Too obvious or too much of an agricultural storyline? The Archers, as a tribe with their usual awful selves, Pip in particular, made it all about her when she spoke with Chelsea, even when she made out she was apologising. I fail to see why Ben has to be so all or nothing and could simply defer his course rather than ditch it. And as loan by Vince was retracted from spite, I think they should have made an equally passive-aggressive offer at repaying him direct debit to Casey Enterprises at £3 a week. (laughs) You can tell I've been looking at historic rent arrears at work this week, can't you? (laughs) And finally, The Christmas Chronicles, the next BBC publication, the perfect stocking filler for the Archer's fan in your life? Mm, remains to be seen. Anyway, with that, I'll let you crack on and tarara bits.
7: Thank you for that, Tar- Miss Spilton. bits. <laughs> yeah, this time next year, Rodney will be millionaires.
6: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's been there's been so much of that. I mean, I've quite admired that in George this week and I think you're quite right, Sarah, in picking up on the, the give me five years and this all will be mine. There's so many soaps and so many comedies that we've got people saying that. But I don't want to think of George as a comedy character. Well I've said he looks like he's like like Nash, so I've probably doomed him now. But I it's thought interesting, he was isn't it? you mix up your your, your cartoon dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Sarah, your call prompted me to look where Smethwick was because I I thought Smethwick Smethwick, was in Leeds and not Birmingham. Sorry. Sorry, Roy, for letting you down again. And 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 here's
7: the thing. It's pronounced Smethwick, and and Smethwick isn't actually Birmingham. It's the metropolitan borough next to Birmingham. Sandwell is the borough. Bearwood is lovely. Bearwood's really nice. And, and there's a big, is it a Hindu or is it a Sikh temple? Massive Sikh. temple.
6: I think it's a Sikh temple, looking at Google Maps as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and
7: I, M- Malcolm X famously, in the 60s, went to Smethik because there was lots of racist right-wing activity and he went there to show solidarity for the recently arrived immigrants there.
6: Wow, that's amazing piece of information.
7: Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Sarah, we love it whenever you call in. And and now we're gonna go to somebody who is uh, crowing. It's Jonah.
10: Aha. Hi, this is Jonah from Newcastle, also known as Jonah Man Jazz. My first call in since before the lockdown. Got a couple of points to make and then a plot prediction. So first of all, I've been enjoying all the, the young people, Brad, George, Mia. All those, I think they're doing them really well. Chelsea as well, I think they're portraying them really well. Also, Ben, I've found his, his, his mental health issues to be very believable for for how he's been portrayed. Also enjoying Martin Gibson, who's one of my favourite characters. Yeah, m- my last call in, I felt like I got short shrift from some of the presenters for describing Vince Casey as an asshole. <laughs> I think I detected people for I might be being a bit sort of anti working class and prejudiced against his accent. But I kind of like to think now that I've been vindicated to some extent, but not sure if everyone will agree. And for my plot prediction, I've held this view for quite some time, and I don't think anything's happened on Mike to prevent it being a possibility. But I think that Joy's daughter has died and she, Joy has come to Ambridge to escape the memory of it and she hasn't quite accepted it. I've thought this for some time, pretty much straight after Joy came in. and Just the way she was talking about Rochelle, it seemed a little bit strange the way she talked about her. But someone may be able to quote something that prevents that possibly being true, but that's my prediction and I'm sticking to it. So I'll speak to you soon. Bye bye. Well,
7: oh thank you for that, Jonah Manjaz. And yes, you have every reason to crow and to say that you were correct, because right here and now, Vince Casey is not a nice chap, shall we say.
6: Yep, yeah, Jonah, thanks for your call. Great stuff with I agree with you. And well done for having the foresight to see Vince as a as a villain.
7: That's vindictive. Like that. vindictive, vindictive,
6: vindictive um, Vince.
7: Well done, a nice bit of alliteration.
6: Is she completely all alone in
7: the world? And that's and she has to keep the memory of Rochelle alive.
6: I don't know. I don't know something. There's something because why don't we see Rochelle? And why? I mean, Joy is such a joyful character. I know so many people love to hate her, but I like her. She's a big positive person. Don't they? Who,
7: who, Don't you ha- who hates Joy? I, I, I think she'd be slightly annoying to have as a neighbour because she's always sunning and hello, you know, and, you know, and just wants to What's help. What's wrong her. with
6: was... that, Roy Phil Brown? But
7: when someone's always on, it can become a little bit kind of grating.
6: Oh, dear. You know? Do you think my neighbours think that about me?
7: You're not, you're not a Joy Horville. Come on now you know, you, 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 you display your frustrations a little bit of anger every now and then whatever you, you are, your emotions do sail up and sail down joy yeah, orville do. publicly always is up. always up and that can it's become tiring
6: yeah that's very true i'm i'm, I'm a bit smarting because we've had a coup d'etat in our village pardon We've had a coup d'etat in our village in the old folks club. Whoa, uh, what happened? I've been made president because the person who was running it was not doing anything and I was the secretary, so I've taken over. So when I, you
7: say we've had a coup d'etat, you mean you instigated a coup d'etat?
6: Well, kind of, yes, but hey-ho, that's life in St. Gwen. <laughs> <coughs>
7: So when you say, like, coup d'etat, I'm expecting tanks to roll up on the village green, right... The, you, you're in command of the gendarmes. And whatever you stormed the I building.
6: Have, I have got the police municipal Joël on my side. There I you have, go. You know about everything, so I'm fine. No, in fact, it all came to a head <laughs> at the Armistice Day <laughs> festival on on Monday, on Friday the 11th. Because here we've had a bank holiday on the Friday on Friday because it's the 11th of November, mm-hmm. and we had our little festival and the ex president and his wife decided to be very very rude to me in front of everybody what yes exactly so
7: come on like you know it's a scandal
6: uh, it's a scandal what did he say nothing that's the point I said hello Roger I didn't say hello actually and he turned his back on me and said nothing
7: so then you instigated a coup d'etat
6: no I'd already done the coup d'etat that was my payment for it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he did it in front of the mayor, and the mayor said, "What's going on?" Not in
7: front of Monsieur le Maire.
6: Oh yeah, Monsieur le Maire, Michel. He's uh, he was astonished. He said, "What is going on with you, old folks?" Wow, I know it's exciting and sanguine. I- I've got to wait, be careful let's get back to the Ambridge.
7: Wait a minute, I've got to be careful with you. You don't have a coup d'état on this podcast. You
6: know, <laughs> well, let's have a coup d'état. You know, April. <laughs>
7: Gotcha. All right, then. Jonah, man, Jazz, welcome back to The Fold. And now we're going to go on to Dave.
12: David Mullis here. Thank you for the Daves on Twitter. Second time caller in her to Dumpty Dum. I just really wanted to try and put some perspective and address some of the turmoil that Ben's actually facing currently to give it some kind of background. He became a prospective father very, very unexpectedly when my fiance of two weeks became pregnant some time ago. This would have meant me becoming a dad at 25 years old. And really the mental turmoil and lack of assistance that I felt and the thoughts I had were very much my own. And there was not really anyone I could turn to, no one to confide in. Because society does point to the fact that ultimately it's the mother's body, the mother will make the decision. Really, I had more involvement or as you would class, more feeling and more thoughts on what would happen purely because I was in a loving relationship with with the mother-to-be. Now, with Ben, this was a one-night stand. Where's he going to go? What's his head going to tell him? What does he do? He clearly has no way to deal with this, no coping mechanism, no one to confide in. His brother was there, and he's soon outgrown him. Other family members, such as Leonard, have tried to help him through. But there's no real end to it at the moment. And I think this is something that really the the script writers have really looked at and tried to review properly and effectively with thinking, yeah, there isn't a lot there for a father or a father-to-be, or particularly from this point of view where it's as a result of a one-night stand and then a termination and the father is at conflict with how he feels. Now, just to give you an update on what happened with my situation, the decision that myself and my then fiancé came to, well, he's currently 19 years old in December. Thanks.
7: What a lovely end. What a lovely oh, end. gosh.
6: Oh. What a lovely call. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. Dave, thank you for the Daves. It is thank you, Dave. It was yeah. a great call. A mm. bit of personal insight. And that's what is so lovely about The arches, isn't it? It gives you – it touches – onto
12: real life
7: stuff. Absolutely. A bit like you at the end of last week's episode with, you, with your little little monologue at the end. But to to, to, to Dave's point, and I've said it already on, in this podcast, I do want male mental health issues to be properly explored. I think it's out of every f- five suicides in the UK, and I don't believe this is really different elsewhere in the world, four of them are male. And it's men under the age of 30. There is a silent... And the biggest cause of death of young men is suicide in the UK. And it's something which goes massively underreported. And us men as, as a sex have lots to answer for. We do live in a patriarchy. We have disadvantaged women systematically, historically, culturally, economically. All of those things are incredibly true. And as my brother said to me, he said, that's all could well be true. But I didn't do that. And I don't feel like I'm the recipient of this male privilege. And I'll never forget when he said this to me. He pointed out that the gender pay gap, he said, it's something which he doesn't understand. And he said, I've had four bosses in my life, he said this about about 15 years ago, 10 years ago, they've all been female. So I do not view the world in the way that maybe older people do. And and there's a massive truth there, that things are changing, not changing fast enough. But if you are a young man, you do look at the de-emasculation of society, that we now covet skills, which are essentially, at least Things that we say women are better at. Communication, jobs of brute strength, etc., or where aggression was was needed, are not de rigueur anymore. It's not what we say we want in, in society. Lots of men don't have an outlet for aggression in a, in a natural way. Lots of men don't feel that they have the camaraderie of, of other men. You uh,
6: can't show weakness.
7: Absolutely. So this Ben storyline is important in so many different ways, and if they are going to really explore male mental health issues, Ben needs to fall further.
6: Oh dear, yeah, you know, I agree. But, it, but, but
7: you know, but but it is becoming somewhat tiring for us as listeners, and also, I can't lie, it does feel self indulgent. Look at what Chelsea's done. Chelsea dusted yeah. herself off, back to work. Getting on with her life. But that's the thing about mental health issues. You know, they're not neat and you can't just transpose your your own experience onto somebody else. But talking about uh, mental health and and addiction, we did have Alice this week, a reminder that there is still a long tail in that storyline. And I thought that was nice. And I'm putting that in parentheses, but I did things a little on the nose. Mm -hmm. It felt like a radio for afternoon play. And your will you read it for oh, me? Yeah, it it felt a little bit too neat, a little bit too perfect. Though I'm all up uh, for her and Chris just getting back together and just just sorted out. You and... see, I
6: don't think so. I think they're great as a couple together, looking after co-parenting and being friends. They're good as friends, but mm. you know, I'm not. I'm not so sure about them getting back together, but. But if that happens, that happens. But they're
7: so know. obviously good together, though, is the thing. They are so good obviously good together.
6: It's like, I don't know. There's been so much hurt. I always worry that once you get back into the going down the domestic line and into the, the normality of everyday life and emptying a dishwasher or emptying the washing machine, everything.
7: You mean and, washing the other's ones undies, you mean?
6: Yeah. Well, and hang him out on the line even. You know. I just think it might all turn nasty again. Which won't be good for Alice. It won't be good for Martha. It will definitely not be good. I bet
7: you Loic is a bit of a boxer gentleman, isn't he? Boxer? Yeah. (laughs) Boxer shorts.
6: No, not at all. Really? Old
7: fashioned Y fronts. Yep. Wow. (laughs) Thank
6: God he doesn't listen to this. Maybe some of my neighbours listen to this, so sorry everybody around here. Now wait a minute. If
7: you're hanging his wife fronts on the on the washing line, right? The no. neighbours do know. They do, no, ne-
6: they do not. My washing line is in a very discreet enclosed area. Of my god, I'll have you know, Mister Brown. Really?
7: Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
6: <laughs> for, for goodness' sake!
7: <laughs> <laughs> the image just came to mind. I
6: thought, oh. There you go. Let's move on, because I think we have another call from European Richard.
7: You're moving away from from your hubby's underwear. okay?
0: Oh, hello. Richard here. Now in Singapore. Apologies for the background music, but needs must. I've been reflecting on the Beth, Ben, Vince mental health issue. And on the one hand, clearly everyone feels very sympathetic towards... Ben is clearly heading into depression, nervous breakdown, self-destruction, possibly even a suicide attempt. Someone I'm close to experienced the suicide in his family very recently, and I remember what it was like many years ago when someone I knew committed suicide, and it's totally nightmarish, so I hope that that doesn't happen in the arches, But it's an important topic, and if there is anyone in your life who you think might be struggling don't forget to send a message, see how they're doing because, you know, there is a important sort of public service issue there. But I was also reflecting on how much as Vince is being an idiot, Ben really has treated Beth extremely badly. And that's one of the worst things about low mental, when you're close to someone with mental health problems, as I once was, their problem makes them treat you badly and it's very hard to be sympathetic for someone who's struggling when they're being a ship to all and sundry around them and i think that's what we're dealing with so i hope that somehow this storyline gets back on track and isn't quite as gloomy and dire and greetings from transit in singapore
7: i thank you for that message Goodness, our be get about don't they
6: but in fact, I think we had two. I'm sorry, Richard. We One, one message, message from Richard became, came in from Fra- transit in Frankfurt and the second one came in from Singapore, but both of which had very good points. As you say, traveling travelling dum-dee-dumbers. He, which in his first call, really liked the fact that George was looking like he was going to be mentored by Martin Gibson. And as he's been known for his sharp practice, Martin, as we said earlier, yeah, we're going to go with that story. And the this, this second one, now, a lot of people haven't had sympathy for Ben as far as whether he was treating Beth badly or not. But when Richard said it, I really sat and thought, yes, he has, because he suddenly decided she was going, wasn't she? She was leaving. She, it was best for her without any real explanation to her. And that is treating somebody badly. Well, no, he, he did say,
7: he said, because you're best off without me. He's yeah. self, He's just full of self-loathing. He's like, yeah. oh, you're best off without me, you know. And, yeah, so he did give her a, a reason. It wasn't a good reason. And she said, no, I want to be here to support you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And, you know, but, uh, yeah. I, me but, personally, right here and now, I think she's best off out of it, to be honest with you. Because, well, so you do know. I
6: really, but <laughs> apart from the repercussions for David David and Ruth on, on it all. But in fact, it's a very good point that Richard made, very empathet- empathetic. Yeah, if you know people that are struggling, just give them a call. It's yeah, easy, no, no. Easy a- to do.
7: Absolutely. I wonder, though, what the food is on the Singaporean train service.
6: Ah right, <laughs> Phil, you're such a stirrer. No, no, not at all.
7: I, I'm <laughs> guessing it's gonna be blooming good.
6: It's anything like Singapore Airlines, it will be fantastic. If if you ever want to have a, a trip on a terrible airline, take Cuba Air from Paris orly to Havana and um in a Russian jet, in a Russian plane. Oh my Ooh.
11: god.
6: It was grim. A group. My son, who's military and travels in military planes all over the place, has better flights than I did in that day, <laughs> and I'll tell you. <laughs> the sandwiches were about doorsteps with a piece of cheese in, wrapped mm-hmm. in cling film, that, and it was a struggle to get a glass of water out of anybody. These are very Russian-built air hostesses, so... I'd like to hear what other people think of air hostesses. That's what, you know, we, we with the... built
7: air hostesses.
6: <laughs> I'm sure they were. Oh, wow. They were <laughs> shop put, put style and, and but, ages.
7: But here's <laughs> the thing here's the thing, right? Now, before, before we go on, then just oh, like God, we, start, start winding so up, up the show, right? <laughs> I wasn't, if the end of communism has taught us one thing, it's that our view of Eastern European slash Russian women was completely and utterly wrong. That they were all shot putters and square, shall we say. Yeah, when exactly. Actually, it was completely wrong. <laughs> actually, they're all incredibly made up and whatever and are wearing the skin piece this and incredibly fashionable. But we did have this impression, if you're of our generation, you know, in the 1960s, 70s, 80s, when it was still communist and they're all doping their female athletes that are all muscle bound fridges. Nothing. Apart from Nadia Comanesque. Uh, you know, <laughs> she you was go. Romanian,
6: wasn't she? Yes. Yeah, 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 but yeah. they were. They were they were fridges. Okay. Royfield, we've already mm. we've been recording for over an hour. Yes. All so right. we better well, wind this up. And
7: and, and you know what? And that's all down to you, because I've been really I succinct I ch- I and on the point. You were talking about coup d'etats in your village in your village and whatever. We well, can I've cut all been... that
6: out, so go. <laughs> keep you working on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon.
7: <laughs> and, and and why don't we go from our caller innerers to our email inners?
6: Yes and we've had one email this week from Andrea and the subject is the podcast on the 7th of November inter-sibling relationships. Hello Royfield and Jacqueline. First time listener innerer, first time Email her in a rush. I'm not sure if those are the correct turns. I was listening to the podcast while raking leaves and couldn't be bothered to go back and check. Besides, why I let the facts get in the way of, a, of making a statement? Before listening to the pod, I thought that Josh and Beth shouldn't get together. Although I suspect Josh fancied Beth. I don't think it was mutual. And as you said, intersibling relationships have been done to death. This is the countryside, but there has to be a limit somewhere. However, when you pointed to the Pip-Toby-Rex threesome and after hearing the self-righteously apoplectic, simmeringly condescending rage Pip showed to Chelsea after Pip discovered our Chelsea had the temerity to impregnate herself with archer Seaman, I'd love to hear Pip having a go at Beth. Wouldn't be Josh's fault, obviously. And for someone to point out that Pip had broken the sweet Rex's heart... Ideally, that would be Emma, as she hasn't had a rant at anyone for a while. Not important how she would know about Rex's non-love life. enjoyed the podcast, and thank you. Thank you, Andrea. I think I know where you were were raking leaves. I've got to be careful what I say about Central Britain, now. Hmm. Where do you think she was raking the leaves? Samaya.
7: Why do you think that?
6: I know Andrea.
7: Oh, okay.
6: <laughs> <laughs> I happened to say something about the Archers ages ago mm-hmm. and I realised that she was a fan. I knew she was a fan anyway. She's she's a bit like me, really, but younger.
1: And uh, there you go. So,
6: let's gotcha. hear about our Fox Facebook posse now.
1: Hey up, my ducks. It's Katie here at KTP Land on Twitter and Instagram. First, we have the not-so-lovable rogue, George. Amanda Kite is suspicious of George, aren't we all? And wonders whether he gave Emma something to make her feel poorly. The plot thickens. Our Witherspoon asked what will the next five years bring for George Grundy? Lots of good responses and ideas in this thread. He also asked, Oh Chris, what have you agreed to? Or how stupid are you? And yet again, the comments came flooding in. Lillian McCarthy was enjoying George being like a rabbit caught in headlights. And Darcy Jorgensen was as shocked as the rest of us at the George and Martin combo. There were a few posts regarding David and Ruth. Joan Smith commented on how naive David is regarding helping Ben. And Kate Lyle wonders if it was time for Ruth to start spending some of her inheritance. The other person who featured in a lot of posts was Vince. Ugh. Our Sandra had hoped that Elizabeth would be firmer with him. mm-hmm. While well, Witherspoon asked if anyone can remember what the original terms were for Brookfield repaying Vince. Well worth a look if, like me, you need a reminder. Laura Payne wanted Beth to sort out her father and Paul Newman spotted that Vince had sorted Beth out and bought her a new car. Brilliant. In other news, Sue Margotson said that Pip is a self-centred, irritating twit and not just from this episode. Fiona Siobhan Powell shared her dumpty dum roulette game. Check it out and maybe play along yourself. I've been having great fun. The other best news, RP and Q finally met after all this time. What a lovely photo! And hopefully, long may the catch ups continue. As usual, welcome to the newbies. Make yourselves known, settle in with a copper, and let us know your thoughts. Until next time, ta-ra!
7: Thank you for that, Katie. Always love your roundups. Now we welcome our three lovely new members:
6: Jane Bassnett, Lorraine Lewis, and Andrea Twelves. So Royfeld, have we had any news that reviews this week? Good, bad or uh, ugly? Uh,
7: no ugly reviews, no bad reviews, but unfortunately no good ones either. So the ah. answer is no. no good people, this is incredibly important that you come to the aid of your favourite podcast, that is Dumpty Mum. And you go on to Apple Podcasts, if you haven't done so already, and write us a say, review. You do not need an Apple device. If you've got an Android device, you can still do this. And or if you're just on Microsoft Windows, you can do this online. Please, for the love of all things wholly, go and support us because then we'll get more listeners for the podcast. We go up those podcast charts and we expand our community go give us a review. There is a link in the show notes as to how this can be done and also a video which shows you how it can be done. So, so next week, let's have a review or two to read out. Now, good people, we are on Twitter where we're at Dumdum. Dum. We also include the Archers hashtag with a capital T and A so the visually impaired can enjoy Archers related tweets. Also, that hashtag is your opening for the tweet along, both in the evenings and during the omnibus. Please try and include at in your tweet so more people get to see it, which helps keep our community growing. Now on Twitter as well as being at dum-de-dum madame, how can you be found?
6: Well, I tweet about lots of non archer stuff, but don't let that put you off. I can usually link it back to my beloved docudrama. And I am at Jberto Sangwa.
7: Talking about Twitter, it's time for Our Theo, the Purple Pumpkin and Tweet of the Week.
6: Hello,
4: Royfield, Jacqueline and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with a selection of Tweets of the Week. This week, there was a lot of opprobrium for George Grundy and Pip Archer among the Twitterati. So for anyone who likes to see a lot of creative swearing, I'd recommend looking at those threads. But for those who prefer their tweets without profanity, here are this week's medals. In bronze position, it's our old favourite Ian at Ruther Ian. George Grundy's economic strategy is less supply and demand and more Liz Truss at a casino. In silver, it's a shared medal for Patricia at Olympians and the Archers Leica at the underscore Leica. Patricia said, You can't get a tune from a tambourine. Someone tell the mamas and the papas. And the Archers Leica replied, Someone needs to tell Bob Dylan. Mr. Tambourine Man can't play a song for him or anyone else. Hand in gold, it's John Porter at Pie and a Pint. It's such a common problem. Going into a clean energy partnership with a vindictive butcher, your son shacking up with his daughter only to then impregnate a local teenager while they were on a break. It's responsible for an estimated 23% of business failures. Well, that's it from me. See you all again next time
7: thank you thank you thank you theo don't forget uh, as well as twitter and uh, we dealt with facebook you can find us on the other social media platform which is instagram where we are at dumpty so please follow us there and uh, where you'll be keeping katie company
6: and thanks as ever to all our contributors. We really, really appreciate that you make the effort to comment on Facebook, on Twitter, and make your calls. And thank you to all those people that look after our social media Shambridge for her voices and to our podcasting godmother, Lucy B. Freeman. Can I tell you my bit of news for you tonight? Go on. Your mate Tony's been eliminated from strictly come dancing.
7: To be fair, it's not really my mate. Never met um, him before. But you,
6: did, I know. But the, the <laughs> only time we've ever talked about strictly, he said, "Just vote for Tony Watson." <laughs> <laughs> Tony Adams, you know Tony that, Adams.
7: You know we, we talked about us being fans of this docu drama because we listened to Radio Four. When I first started listening to Radio Four in the eighties, Desert Island Discs was always about captains of industry. Oh, now we have blah 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 blah. He's the chairman of ICI. And they always had Beethoven or Mozart or whatever as you know. And you you said to yourself, No it's not. This is not your favourite music. But you're saying because you think that it it, it should be. So I've never I'd never listened to Desert Island Discs in years. Hated it. Right? I said everything that's wrong with Radio 4 can be summed up in Desert Island Discs. About 10 years ago, somebody said, have you heard Tony Adams on Desert Island Discs? And I went, I hate the show. He went, no, 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 you've got to listen. What an honest depiction of a dysfunctional life. It was amazing. He was so honest... And then his music choices were just all over the place. And he was like a magpie. And he says, I'm picking this piece of music because it reminds me of my black friends. I'm picking this piece of music. It was wonderful. And I know that program is so completely and utterly changed now. They have people with real personalities who aren't playing up to what their supposed image should be. And he talking about male mental health issues. This is a nice little bookend to be talking about. Tony Adams so if people don't know and especially people from from around from around the world Tony Adams was the ex-Arsenal captain and ex-England captain in the 90s possibly to, to the early 2000s and he becomes the captain of Arsenal I believe at the age of like 19 he's very young and very obviously he's gone from being a wunderkind footballer as a kid and then he transitions to become a professional, professional footballer, and because of that, he his parents didn't give him any personal boundaries. He was drinking very young, and he said, "I was pissing the bed and soiling the bed as a young adult," and my mom would just take the sheets and just wash them. And he was playing playing for Arsenal. He struggled with so many demons whilst having this really strong commanding face because he was the captain of his club but wildly out of control and also talked about the fact that he came from this quite cloistered white working class upbringing and then going into the Arsenal dressing room then seeing people of other cultures young black men and learning about other cultures so Tony Adams in, in one way he typically is that white middle-aged man can't dance, but his story is really fascinating. And it's one where he's been very honest about his shortcomings. And he talks about his depressions and his demons. And, and because he's been able to do that in public now, it's been very cathartic for him.
6: Yeah, and exactly that's He's become a kind of mentor for mental health in men. He's talked about it a lot in uh, backstories on uh, Strictly. I mean, an absolutely fantastically open guy. I mean, Mm. I know nothing about football. I know almost as much about football as I do about Formula One. But, (laughs) wow, he couldn't dance for Toffee, but what a great guy. I mean, Mm. he's he's dealt with those demons and he's, yeah he should be proud of himself and in fact I'm saying he was a limiter. he was thrown off but in fact he retired because he sustained an injury last night well that's okay. a footballer isn't it and he was in the dance off and decided mm. not to dance again so I, I, I wanted him to go because I am all team Hamza go Hamza <laughs> indeed au revoir
0: bonsoir
6: au revoir bonsoir
7: I hope you don't mind.
4: I had a little read of Catch-22. It's cracking stuff. A searing indictment of the futility and absurdity of war. Well, yeah, quite...